I want to talk to you about one of the uh, paradigm-shifting events in biblical history uh, and world history. I have been burdened to preach this for about three months, and I'm just able to put it together here a couple weeks ago. And I want to share it with you, a thought I've had on the analysis and meditation on a man. His name was Noah. His name was Noah. On the way to church this morning, which is it's relatively unusual in the morning, but God knew I was preaching on Noah. And we take the back way and we come up Williams or whatever that other road is over there behind the mall and I come up to the main road and I look straight out there and there's a rainbow. I thought, okay. Why have me a spell? Okay, God. I get it. I'm going to put my bow in the sky. What was that about? So that I won't kill all the rest of you with water. I won't kill everybody at the same time with water again, except for the one-time flood. Interesting. The, the bow in the sky is still there. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13 through 22 is the main text of where we're at this morning. I will move right through the material. And we'll move, I'm going to move right through this. We're not going to prolong this. Most of you know the, know the the story around this man named Noah. But for those who may not, I think it was worthy, and it's always worthy to read the Bible. Uh, verse 13 to 22, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. People ask me sometimes, what was the sin that caused God to destroy the world, that world, Noah's world, if I want to put it that way? The last step before God steps in is violence. Now, years ago, I used to think it was immorality, maybe perverted immorality. There's, there's heterosexual immorality. Then there is uh, homosexual immorality. And then one step further is there's transgenderism and transvestitism, which is, the, and then maybe one step further to debauchery is bestiality. Past that, there's not much worse crazy nuts stuff you can do, you know, crazy stuff. But that actually is not the sins that created God, that brought into my, God's mind, I can't take this anymore. I believe that God saw that they were not savable. I believe they were not savable. So there's a lot of preaching around this. I preached a whole sermon on the lost generation. I believe there can be a generation of people that, that are raised up that reject God and will not believe no matter how or what he does. They're unsavable. The Bible calls them reprobate in Romans chapter 1. I think Romans chapter 1 tries to explain that to us. But that's not this morning. Must have been a group of people that were unsavable because 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish. 
It's not God's will to destroy people. It's God's will to save people. They got to get to the place where they're unsavable before he'll take them out. They will not respond any longer to his nudging and his moving and his you know, nature and all the things he's put out there to try to convince him that he is and there's none else. He said, and God said to him, he said, I will, he said to Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms thou shalt make in the ark, and there shall pitch it within and without with pitch. So I believe Noah started building the ark in the center of a real large wooded area. Would make sense to me that he would. He wouldn't want to pull that stuff as far as you would pull as short as possible. So I probably started working in the middle of a wooded area where there was a tar pit relatively close. Pitch is tar. Because he was supposed to not only cut the logs down and then, and by the way, by the way Noah had a tremendous sawmill. I mean, he was set up with a sawmill. And he could saw the logs and he could shape them and even bend them, uh, fasten them, and put them back, cover them both inside and outside with this, what we would call tar or pitch. You know, we still use that for roofs. You can go to the hardware store today and buy tar and put it on your roof. It's one of the best things out there. There's all kinds of fancy dancy stuff to seal your roof with, but I've found about the best thing to seal your roof and stop a leak is old-fashioned black, sticky tar. Still being used today. Verse 15, and this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, or that is about 475 feet long. The breadth of it will be 50 cubits, that's about 75 feet. The width of it, that is. And the height of it, three stories, a little over three stories, at 45 feet or 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark. And in, the, uh, in, in a cubit shall thou finish it above. So around the whole top of the ark was an 18-inch uh, set of windows all the way around the top. And the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories thou shalt make it. It was a monumental project. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life? So fish survived. Some fish and some other non-air-breathing creatures survived from under heaven. Many of them died just because of the turmoil of it all. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall thou bring into the ark. Seven he brought that were what the Bible called clean animals. And to, them, and, and to keep them alive with thee, thou shalt be male and female. Of the fowls after their kind, of the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing in the earth after his kind, their air breathing. Two of every sort shall come unto thee and keep them, to keep them alive. They're going to come to you. You don't go out and collect them. And take thou unto thee, so you do go out and collect for them all food that is eaten. And thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee, and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Um, so we see some things about this man. What kind of a man, what some kind of a man was this Noah? It's worth the time to look at for sure. It would be an honor 
for anyone to be like Noah. Um, I would to God that there could be some Noahs in this group meeting here this morning. The question I want you to continually ask yourself as we go through the next few minutes is, am I a Noah? Do I have the qualifications of this guy? I think it would be wise that anybody would want the qualifications that Noah had because the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he, he did something that made God happy, and I want to be, make God happy. I want to be like Noah for sure. So some facts about Noah was he was a 10th generation from Adam. Now, these people lived a long time. He died at 950 years old. His name means, Noah means rest. Uh, there's a little bit of a confusion about maybe on the timeline of Noah and everything, but he was, we know that how long, well, I, the question is how long did Noah preach? No, no specific place in the Bible says exactly how long he preached. Some say from Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, which I'll read, that that was how many years. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always try with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Some believe that verse indicates that Noah had about 120 years to preach. However, Noah was told to build the ark when he was 500. He got in the ark at 600. So I believe Noah was probably about 100, 100 years of preaching the righteousness of God. When God mentioned this in Genesis 6-3, they had 120 years. But by the time he told Noah to build the ark, he had 100 years. And he gave him about 100 years to do that, I believe. He's called a preacher of righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what do we know? Well, we know this. We know that at least it took 100 years with some help. He did not have a lot of help, but with some help, he was able to build this massive wood structure in about 100 years. Now, how many have been to the Ark Experience up in, I believe it's Ohio, Kentucky area? If you haven't gone, you ought to go. I went a few years ago. I went just to get the, I knew about the Ark. I just went to get the impact of what it looked like. And I stood there and looked at it, then went in it. You know, first story, second story, third story. And that, by the way, when they built that, they followed the Word of God. They had a high reverence when they did that project to the Bible. I love the door of salvation. You know, God opened that door. God opens the door of salvation. He shuts the door of salvation. Uh, he gave the world an opportunity to be saved, and they said no, so he shut the door on them. The rain started, the trouble came, and they probably were knocking on that thing, begging to get in, but it was too late. And I believe salvation is offered to you and me on a limited amount of time. And if you eventually say no, say no, say no, say no, you may say no the last time you get to say no. And from that time on, you cannot be saved because God will no longer strive with you to help you to be saved. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus comes and makes people aware that they're lost. But there is a point of perdition where you've turned God down so many times that he's not coming back to woo you to his son, Jesus Christ. So anyway, that's, that's what it's worth there. So in, uh, we know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We know that he had children. 
he had three boys, and they had, they had a wife each. They had three wives. So there were, it was uh, he and his wife and his three boys and their, and their wives. So there was eight of them in total. Noah, the Bible says, condemned the world by what he did. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, by faith, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. And I'm going to go into that in a minute. Things not seen. Moved with fear, prepared an ark of the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. He was a preacher of righteousness, so he's up there preaching. He's not only verbally preaching, he's preaching by example. I mean, every time, every time the hammer hit a nail or a rivet or however they fastened that thing together, it was a testimony of God's mercy to them to get on the ark. But now you say, well, why did he have him build the ark in such a way? Because God knew beforehand there would only be eight people to respond in his foreknowledge. He knew. He didn't keep them from responding. They could have responded, but he knew really when presented there would only be eight people that would be saved, and that's amazing. Uh, he says there, he calls these eight people few. People have come to me and says, you know, Jesus said narrow is the way and, uh, the, to salvation, and few be there to find it. You've read it. And I, people come to me and say, preacher, what's the word few mean? And we've done a little stuff in Sunday school class where I say, out of 100, what would you consider few? If I had 100 apples and I said, Nick, you can take a few. I know you'd load them all up and take them. But anyway, I like free peaches. But, uh, but I mean, what would you do? Take three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, you went past 10, you're starting to get out of the few range, right? Well, I'm going to tell you, God's definition of few is a little bit bigger than that. Or, or a little bit less than that, but it's, it's unbelievable. Let me read it. When 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says... Uh, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now that knocks my socks off. I read a book, the name of the book is called Genesis, written by Henry Morris. He was a scientist. He was a, a creator of a group called the Institute of Creation Research. They're still in functioning today. There's over, I believe there's over 30,000 science people, majors in science, people who make their money in science, signed on to that thing. That God created this thing we walk on every day and breathe the air we created, he created. You are not an idiot to believe God created everything. You are not. You have a mind. Henry Morris calculated conservatively I believe it's on page 143 in his book. I'm close if that's not exactly the right page. There could have been up to 25 billion people on earth at the flood. And those numbers, you go ahead and get the book and read it. Those numbers are not wild-eyed numbers. This is done by a scientist. 25 billion. Why? Well, the curse wasn't like it had been, and the people lived a long time. Uh, there were, you know, there weren't the things we have today, more land to live on. Temperature was probably even from north to south. It didn't rain. There was a mist came up every day. It was probably like Florida and its most ideal temperature all the time. It was just conducive to life. And people had children and birthed, and there was a lot of people. And, uh, 
you know, you say, well, Brother Bill, that's not possible. Well, you answer this question for me. Where's all the oil coming from? We know oil comes from organic material put under pressure. We know that. That's not a question. We know oil, coal, comes from organic material under pressure. So where in the world did all the oil come from? Second question, why is it buried about 10,000 to 14,000 feet under the surface? How did it get there? The flood, Bible answer for that is as easy, is as most logical of anything I've ever heard. God broke the whole thing up to, from top to bottom, side to side, and the fountains of the deep and everything, rolled everything, and the organic materials settled down, and then the mud and the lighter stuff settled down upon it, the weight of the water, and we have oil. Now, we don't have a little bit of oil. We have a, despite what the, what the green folks believe, we got a lot of oil. We got 300 years of oil. And then if we run out of oil, we got coal that will probably go on a 1,000 years. I mean, we got energy. God has given us all of that to use it. But it comes from organic material. So what was that organic material? It was the vegetation because it was warm from North Pole to South Pole. There was vegetation from North to South. They found animals up by Antarctica with food in their stomach and all that stuff. You, you know most of that. And so... It was, it was conducive to plant growth. It was conducive to, to growth of the animals. There were dinosaurs that were coexistent with man, and they, they coexisted together. There was a lot of those animals, and then all of the other uh, air-breathing animals, the only ones survived were two of each, two monkeys, two elephants. The rest of them died, and with the human Added the, okay, it wasn't 25 billion. It, maybe it was 7 billion. Uh, put all that together and bury it. Bury it. That's a feat in itself, keeping it all together and burying it 14,000 feet to 10,000 feet. You say, Brother Bill, how do you know that? Because Bob Rose was an oil driller. That's what he did for a living. And I said to Bob, how, where do you hit oil? He said, between 10,000 and 14,000 feet deep. He said, that's where you hit it. And you hit methane gas, which is caused by what? Rotting. There's methane gas. The methane gas mixed with the oil is what pushes it to the surface. You ever seen a geyser well when they hit it and it goes blows out the top? What pressure is causing that to blow is methane gas or gas like methane. Where did all that come from? Well, the Bible explains it. Some characteristics that Noah had. I want to go over today with you. In fact, three of them. I want you to ask this, yourself this question. Do I have and am I like Noah? Because, man, I want to be like Noah. First of all, I noticed that Noah was undiscourageable. He was undiscourageable. Noah did not need to be propped up to do the will of God. He didn't have anybody going and slapping him on the back and encouraging him to do it and shaking his hand. Let's do it. He didn't have anybody. All he had was a bunch of doubters, people laughing at him, and I'll go into that in a minute, as he was doing something for something that nobody had ever seen, rain. 
They'd never seen it. They didn't know what a thunderstorm was. Flood. They'd never seen it. And you know how arrogant people are. Because I haven't seen it, it doesn't exist. You know how arrogant we are. If I haven't seen it, it didn't exist. Well, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of stuff you don't know. Explain to me electricity. Explain to me. No, don't explain what it does. Explain to me what is it. Explain to me the energy of the sun, how it goes all through space all that way and hits something and reflects back and creates. Explain to me what, it, what is it. And there's, there's literally thousands of unexplainable things that we use all around us on a regular basis. So I believe this boy was undiscourageable. He was a self-standing, self-encouraging, deeply committed, diligent individual. If I would point anything out about Noah, I'd say that old boy was undiscourageable. I want that. You ever get discouraged? Sure you did. I've been discouraged. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I hate discouragement. It feels awful. It's not a good place to be. So when I get discouraged, I ask God for help. Lord, help me. And when I get discouraged, I start doing what David did, which was like Noah, by the way. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He just started quoting scripture. He just started talking about the great promises of God. He just started talking about his future. God's going to preserve me. And all the world's going to be destroyed, but my family, my wife and I, and my, our kids go, and, and, and their wives are going to be preserved. God's done this great favor to me. Even though the, the world was looking at him like he was nutbag number one. He was crazy, insane. I believe we should be so undiscourageable that we, that the devil would have to shoot us to stop us. Oftentimes I've prayed, Lord, help me to be so undiscourageable, so unstoppable, that the devil's got to kill me. And that'll only be with your permission, so I'm not worried about it. The devil has to go kill me to stop me. I cannot be killed without God's permission. Now, I'm not saying that's not going to be today, because God could have given his mission. He don't come by and tell me, you know, hey, it's, you know, you're out of here today. But I know that I am untouchable until God gives permission. I know that from the Bible. And so that was Noah's attitude. And this whole sermon is about what was, do you have Noah's attitude? I want Noah's attitude. He was undiscurable. Second thing I know, he was unalterable. He was loyal to the word of God that he had. He obeyed it to the letter. He kept his head down and did what God asked him to do, and he didn't try to invent anything new past that or to make anything up. He did not add to the Bible what he knew of the Bible, what he knew of God's word. He did not subtract from what God told him. He just had a get-her-done attitude. No on and off. Well, I asked God for this. There's something you should ask God for. Help me to be unalterable. Help me to be like Noah, undiscourageable. Help me to be like Noah, unalterable. Do what you want me to do. I've asked God for it. I want to be able to be relied upon by God. I want to be counted as steady. Always when he needs me, I'll be there. Noah was that. How about you? The third thing I see is Noah was unmovable. 
He had the whole world laughing at him for about 100 years. They had never seen rain or flood. Yet he was preaching that there was going to be a flood, there was going to be rain, and there was going to be a flood. And not only was there going to be a rain and a flood, it wasn't going to be just a little local thing. It was going to kill everything on earth that had breath. You're not going to be able to go to the mountain. You're not going to be able to go to a mountain or a high place or go up a tree and escape this. You're not going to be able to get away. The only way you're going to make it is come in the ark that God's provided. Now, you know this is an analogy of salvation. Christ is the ark, really. Lord Jesus died on Calvary, shed his blood, satisfied the justice of God, was resurrection as God's seal that this is the one, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Above everybody that ever said it, he's the one. He's the Savior of the world. He died for our sins. And if you want to go to heaven, you must place your simple childlike faith in him, being willing to repent. And the Bible says that you can be saved. It says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those are promises, and there are so many more promises that if you'll put your simple childlike faith in Christ, he will save you. He'll, the door's open to the ark this morning. And you can walk in and receive the salvation it'll provide you. Because there is another storm coming. God is going to judge the world again in righteousness. It's coming. He was preaching to them something they had never seen, just like we preach to people something they have never seen. I believe that he got the same response that I get when I preach today. Scorn, derision, ridicule, mockery, ostracizing, peer pressure to quit, stop, or change. It doesn't surprise me that when you get born from above, you go home and tell your unsaved family, I got saved today, that you don't get discouraged by it. They don't go, oh, now don't you get too much religion Oh, my God, they're going to have you going to church three, four times a week like it was poison. Of course, they can watch Internet, and they can watch movies, and they can do all kinds of garbage for hours and hours and hours. Look on your iPhone how many hours you were on last week. Look on your iPhone how many hours you were on it last week. Do it. Not now. Look on your iPhone how many hours you were on it last month. Preacher, I don't have time to read the Bible. Oh, really? You got time for YouTube. You got time for Facebook. You got time for Spotify. And all these little the younger people, they go to a whole other range of stuff that I don't, I'm not familiar with and don't want to be familiar with it. You can't hardly eat with a young person anymore. They don't have their face in their phone. And everybody said, glory to God, hallelujah. You know, I got a rule. We go, out, we go out to eat with new people. We go, and if I'm buying, we put, we, shut the phone off, man. Yeah, but my friends want to talk to me. Yeah, what am I, dead meat? Your friends will wait. 
your friends are away. And are they really friends? Well, I won't go into that. But Noah was not influenced by the false philosophy of the mega churches. And they had them. Their argument of how, how they would argue with him and say, those people around Noah said, how could we be wrong with a big following we got? Look at our following. Look at our buildings. Look at, look at the people who believe what we preach. Uh, Noah, how, how many are following you? Where's your, you, you only had, you only had eight people come to church last week. Well, we have hundreds of thousands of followers. We have crowds. We got money. We got credibility. We got popularity. What do you got, Noah? And Noah said, well, I'm just a local, fundamental, Bible-believing, independent Baptist. And size does not matter. Contrary to Morgan and Morgan. Size does not really matter. It's always been the few. Jesus said it. Now I'm not for, I'm not reveling in small crowds, okay? What do you think, I'm crazy? Uh, we, we've had this building packed. We've had overflow over in the back. I love it when those things happen. Woo, I love it. But also understand that crowds come and crowds go and that the, the, that you cannot be influenced by those kind of things. You must speak the truth and love no matter what happens around you. That's what Noah had. I want that. Listen, if everybody around me decides to go to hell, I don't want to go. If everybody around me decides to go to hell, I don't want to go. Now, you know what I'm going to do right now, don't you? I always sing a little song after I say that. Please, Mr. Custer, I don't want to go. All you old folks understand what I'm talking about. I went to Custer's last stand. By the way, I'd highly recommend it, highly recommend it. They've done metal detecting. They know where they were laying. They know where they were shooting from. They found their cartridges. It's unbelievable the work they've done out on them fields. That's where it's going to. I feel like Custer's man. All my friends in high school decided they didn't want to live for Jesus. I said, I'm not going where they're going. I hear these young people so concerned about what their friends think, so concerned about what their buddies think, so concerned about, like, like I hear once in a while that somebody commits suicide, some kid will commit suicide because people on the social media all ganged up on them. Go ahead and gang up on me. Call me everything you want to call me. I'm more concerned about what God thinks of me than what you think of me. Man, you got to have some no way, no way gumption. I don't know if that's a word or not. I may have made that up. But you got to have some gumption if you're going to do the will of God. God didn't ask you to do something easy. He says, I want you to stand alone for me if that's what it takes. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you there? Are you there? Noah decided if the whole world decided to go to hell, and they did, that he was going to get in the ark when God said so. I hope you've decided that. Otherwise, I believe it's very possible that you may move and not end well. 
You may start believing in some degree the propaganda of the world. Uh, instead of just keeping and keep your head down and doing the will of God. By the way, something you can't see, they can't see. You may be turned off of it. But we, like Noah, have been told to be a witness for God in this world. They often are skeptical of all that we preach, but we just have the attitude of Noah. I'm undiscourageable by the grace of God. I'm unalterable by the grace of God. I'm unmovable by the grace of God. Are you this morning? Ask God for it. He'll help you have it. Have Noah's attitude. Father, thank you this morning for the, the beautiful testimony of the Bible. We thank you that your mercy and your kindness has been displayed to us, many of us in this room born from above. We know what it means to have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Savior. If you're here this morning and this is strange to you and odd to you, well, Building of that ark was odd and strange to know when he first heard it. It would, not, it would make sense that that would be right. But if you'll listen to God and seek him, you'll find him. And I believe that here this morning, if you'd like us, one of us to show you the gospel plan, we'd love to do it. Either after the service or at invitation time, one-to-one, -one, privately, confidentially, show you the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again the third day so that you can be saved from the coming storm of God's judgment. Father, do a great work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand if you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.